0: Please pray with me. Lord, your love is more than we can even begin to imagine. And as we hear those words sung out this morning, as we contemplate how it is that you love us, we are aware. We are aware in this space this morning. We are aware at this time in our lives, we are aware in this present moment that it is your love for us. It is your love for all of creation that holds together everything that was, everything that will be, and you hold together this moment that we are incapable of even conjuring up our next breath, if not for you. You are the giver and sustainer of life. You are in all things. You are through all things. And you are fully and completely and wholly present. So, Lord God, we pray that your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit that is welcome in this place, your Holy Spirit that is vibrant and new, your Holy Spirit that breathes life, into our lungs, Holy Spirit, awaken us this morning. Remind us again of who you are and who you call us to be. For your honor and your glory alone, we pray. Amen. Well, I have no hair, I'm wearing a tie, and I don't own a beanie, so I'm not Pastor Johnny. <laughs> but he would love to be here with you this morning. I'm Gary Hanson. I'm the campus pastor over at our Meredith Drive campus. And just to catch you up to speed a little bit uh, on the journey that Pastor Johnny and Kayla and their boys, and especially Eliza, have been on this past week, uh, Eliza has remained stable. Uh, she remains in intensive care down at uh, Blank Children's Hospital Uh, As a family, they uh, invite you to be praying for them, cover them in your prayers, uh, cover them in your thoughts and uh, we've been asked numerous times of ways that we can tangibly provide for them. They, they have a support network around them. They have meals that are coming in. They have uh, care for the boys and their routine uh, throughout the week that uh, has been provided. So so pray. Pray like you haven't prayed before because it, you know Pastor Johnny. You, you know how hard it is for him uh, to not be able to be here with you and you know how as a family their heart is beaten in rhythm with Eliza uh, as she grows stronger is our prayer that currently she is intubated and the doctors are hoping that uh, her lungs will grow strong enough that they can remove her from that ventilator and work her way back to uh, full strength and full health so pray for them um, and know that, uh, You are a part of an important conversation, uh, along with Pastor Johnny and myself and Pastor Josh and Pastor Bepp and Pastor Suzanne and all the folks at Meredith Drive. This sermon this morning is a part of a four-week series, and if you've been a part of these past two weeks, then hopefully you've been invited to pick up. I know that you had the town hall meeting out here last week, but if you weren't a part of that discussion... Um, Make sure you pick one of these up and prepare yourselves for for next Sunday morning, because I'm coming back with about 400 of my closest friends. And we're going to pack this place out, a joint worship service. Uh, Our two campuses, the Meredith Drive campus folks, are going to come out here. We're going to worship from 10 to 11. And then immediately following worship next Sunday morning, please, if you are able, stay plan on staying for a congregational meeting. Uh, Pastor Suzanne and the administrative board uh, are over at Meredith Drive this morning, helping them with that conversation, and they're in the middle of a town hall right now. And then next week, during the congregational meeting, uh, we hope that the Spirit will draw us into a a sense of what good works have been prepared in advance for Meredith Drive Reformed Church as a whole the Meredith Drive campus, the Bridge campus, where it is that God is calling us next as we live into that preferred future that God has for us. Be here, if you can, for the congregational meeting next week, following worship here at the Bridge. This morning, though, uh, is the third week, and we're going to follow the guidance of a prophet of old by the name of Jeremiah. I think we all have uh, favorite Bible characters, at least personalities that resonate with our own, right? And Jeremiah has always been a personal favorite of mine. Maybe, maybe for you, you resonate with, with David and the bravery that he shows in facing down Goliath. Or, or maybe your heart beats in rhythm with, with Ruth and her steadfastness to her mother-in-law Naomi. Or maybe like the, the New Testament to uh, the disciple Peter who jumps out of the boat to, to follow his rabbi Jesus. Or Maybe your mind is more analytical, and you resonate with the Apostle Paul and his articulation of the faith. Well, I happen to like Jeremiah. I think in part because he's a bit of a curmudgeon. Uh, he's a bit of a, a grumpy character who underneath that, that grumpy exterior has as a heart a heart of gold, a heart that, that bleeds and beats in rhythm with his people, the, the Israelites, and his heart also simultaneously beats in rhythm with God's. Now that's the role of a prophet. A lot of times we think of a prophet, and we think maybe a fortune teller or a soothsayer of some sort who, who has this you know special insight into what lies ahead. When actually throughout Scripture, the role of the prophet is to be a voice of the people to God and the voice of God to the people. And prophets always, always, always speak into a current reality. And the prophet Jeremiah, when we meet up with him this morning, has been speaking into a mess. He's been speaking into this mess for for years. It's nothing new that his message to the people from God is that they're not living in in the fullness of life that God desires for them to experience. They're not living with the identity of, of being God's chosen people, holy and set apart so that the world may know God's grace, God's love, God's mercy. That's who Israel has been called to be. And they've drifted. Far, far away from that initial calling, so a lot of what jo- Jeremiah has been saying to the people has been words of reminder of who they are, and then the words that god that Jeremiah has lifted up from the people to God names a current reality that that is quite messy indeed. You see, when we hear from Jeremiah, he 's writing a letter that he has written to those who have been carried off into exile. The people of God have been hauled out of Jerusalem and trekked across the desert to Babylon. They find themselves under the authority of a man by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. And in Babylon, all that the people of Israel can think about is getting back to Jerusalem. Okay? That's the current reality that we find ourselves in in Jeremiah chapter 29. So hear the word of the Lord. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. We're going to do the first seven verses. Otherwise, the words are going to be projected on the screen up front. Jeremiah 29, beginning at verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the Queen Mother, the, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Saphon, and to Garamon, son of Hekiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. The letter said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is the word of the Lord. It's a word that the people in exile couldn't have possibly imagined. And then when they heard it, they're not so thrilled. As you can imagine, if you and I were in that setting, if we were in exile, and we hear this word from Jerusalem, which come few and far between, as things become harder and harder, as the the culture in which we find ourselves is is chaotic and confusing, their thoughts and, and our thoughts, if we put ourselves in their shoes, are that the best thing that God can do is to bring them back to Jerusalem. That if God is in fact sovereign, if God is in control, if, if God is the God who led the people out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, on dry land, if, if that God still sits on high, then, then of course God will lead the people from Babylon, from chaos, from confusion, back to the familiar, back to the known, back to the place of, of comfort in Jerusalem. That's what they wanted to hear. We're not all that different. We want to hear that if God is in control, then things are going to be comfortable. If God is in control, then whatever is chaotic and confusing will suddenly make sense. If God is in control, then then all of culture will have an understanding of who God is in a way that makes church just a an overflowing of what we experience throughout the week. Well, our current reality is much like the current reality of those people of God who were in exile so long ago. The word of the Lord that that comes to us, the word of the Lord that comes to the people of God, is not the word that we anticipate You see that again and again and again throughout Scripture. We love the path of least resistance. We love comfort. We love convenience. We love it when our lives are lived on our terms. But God, the God who Jeremiah is in relationship with, the God who says, no, I have a plan for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's after what we heard this morning. We often just like to pick that verse up, take it out of context and and place it on, on a wall hanging in our kitchens or our living rooms, but the context into which God makes that promise, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Well, that's laid out here in the portion that we have in front of us this morning, the portion that says, you want to come back to Jerusalem? No, i got a different route that we're going to take. You need to build homes. You need to plant gardens. You need to settle down because, because I care about the well-being of, of those who have carried you off into exile. Pray for the city. Pray for Babylon, because if it prospers, then you will prosper. That's a word that the people of God didn't know how to hear. And this morning, the, the third week of this four-week sermon series, this sermon series that has led us to the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah who, who proclaimed that God is doing a new thing. Pastor Suzanne reminded us that God is constantly doing new things. And then last week when, when Jesus reminded his disciples that you never pour new wine into old wineskins. These past two weeks we've seen stats, we've gotten pie charts, we, we've listened to how the world around us is changing how those who have grown up in the church are not likely to stay in the church. About how millennials in our culture today are not seeing the need for the place of the church in their lives the way that maybe we once did. We have examples of how our neighborhoods, both at the Meredith Drive campus and, and here at the bridge, are, are changing and shifting Pastor Suzanne has laid out for us a sense of what that means. What that means for us as a body of Christ. What it means that we have to address some physical needs of our facilities. What it means that, that together we seek to discern the ways in which we use our resources to reach out so that we can listen to. To and do ministry with the next generation so that we can be invited into relationship with people from places that we haven't even heard of before. That we can gain an insight into what life is like in Sierra Leone or Liberia or the Congo. That we can have an understanding of what God's doing in, in Haiti or Honduras. That we have an opportunity in this present place, at this present time, to see the fullness of who God is. So those exiles in Babylon didn't care much for their current reality. Jeremiah knew that. He didn't turn a blind eye to that. We don't want to turn a blind eye to our current reality either. We, we want a name some of the the challenges that we face. And it's not just Meredith Drive Reformed Church on our own that faces some of these challenges. If you've been a part of this worshiping body, if you're a member of Meredith Drive Reformed Church, then chances are you received an email in your inbox this past week that invited you to be a part of a survey, a survey that was sent out by a, a group who have been entrusted to come up with some idea of God's preferred future for the denomination as a whole. Do we have that slide that we can read together? The email starts off like this. The RCA, the Reformed Church in America, is at a crossroads. As a denomination, we are discerning God's will for our future. Any direction we take will involve great change. It's a really short sentence, but a really big one to digest. Any direction we take will involve great change. The Vision 2020 team has been tasked by General Synod 2018 with prayerfully and effectively researching options for our future and presenting a preferred option to General Synod 2020. Our research must include, but isn't to be limited to, the three scenarios suggested by General Synod 2018 this past summer. I was in the room when we tried to come up with uh, the three ways forward, and the best that we could do was to either stay together, that there would be significant reorganization, or to lay a path that would involve grace-filled separation. Now, I've grown up in the RCA. I never imagined a day in which an email like that would find its way into my mailbox. I never imagined how quickly culture as a whole could shift. I never imagined that foundations on which the church... And not just the Reformed Church in America, but but the Holy Catholic Church. The foundations on which the church stands in, in our current culture. The shifting that's happening underneath the church today is a reality. So we... We who live in this reality, we who are invited into the complexities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, part of a body, part of a denomination, all the complexities that come into that, the complexities of a vision being cast for us as a congregation, one church, two locations Wanting to faithfully follow God, part of what is involved in that process is naming that this is hard stuff that we're trying to do. This is complex stuff that we're trying to discern. We desire, we desire if we're honest with ourselves, what those exiles in Babylon desire. We want it to be easy, we want it to be quick, we want it to be convenient. And God says, no. God says that is not the way. God places in front of us then what it might look like to build houses, what it might feel like to plant gardens, but what it might actually require of us if in fact the same message that was being told to those people of God so long ago is being whispered to us today, pray for the welfare of your city. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I hope that you know how important you are in the discernment process. I hope that you know Individually and collectively how we need to lend all of our voices to this conversation. I hope that you're in prayer. Prayer for the welfare of the city. Prayer for the welfare of, of our congregation. Prayer for the Reformed Church in America. Prayer for the, the church which is the body of Christ. And I hope that you have a sense of, of the opportunity that is in front of us. One of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, he passed away just a short time ago. He, he wrote a commentary on this Old Testament book of Jeremiah. And when he pondered on the story that we have in front of us this morning, when, when he tried to articulate the significance of this letter that Jeremiah wrote to the exiles, Peterson saw this. He says, The aim of the person of faith is not to be as comfortable as possible, but to live as deeply and thoroughly as possible, to deal with the reality of life, discover truth, create beauty, act out love. The only opportunity you will ever have to live by faith is in the circumstances you are provided this very day, this house you live in, this family you live in, this job you have been given. The only place you have to be human is where you are right now. I don't know about you, but that wakes me up. It wakes me up out of the the ruts I get stuck in. It wakes me up out of my my slumbering soul status. It wakes me up. And to be honest, there are ways that we are awakened that we'd rather not have to face. Walking alongside Pastor Johnny and Kayla, being, being in the room, with them, with Eliza, and how fragile her precious life is. Into that moment, into that space, we cry out with groaning too deep for words because we don't know what to say. We don't know how to hold something of that significance. But I'm so very grateful for Johnny and for Kayla and for their commitment to hold. To hold their daughter. To hold this place. To be a part of a body so that when one is hurting, we all hurt. So that when one is rejoicing, we all rejoice. So that we can catch a glimpse of being a part of something bigger than ourselves and we can be honest when things don't make sense. We can be honest when things don't seem to be the way that we think they ought to be. Because our God is the same God that Jeremiah knew by name. Our God is inviting us into places that we'd rather not go and to do things that we'd rather not do so that we might experience the fullness of life. That is in the one who came and laid down his life. The one who came, and rather than living a life of luxury, he came as a servant. He came and took up a cross. He, he hung and he died so that we might have fullness of life. And it's not going to be easy. But it's going to have opportunity for conversations. Conversations that started here as a part of our Christmas alternative giving. If you're a part of worshiping with us, then you know a little bit about what those opportunities entailed. If not, you're going to have an opportunity in just a moment to hear about how Meredith Drive Reform Church was invited into, into the hallways of Hoover High School and Urbandale Middle School and Horizon Elementary you get a chance to see some of the the faces and the smiles and the ways in which God is inviting us to be his hands and his feet. Let us pray. God, thank you that you are doing a new thing. Thank you that you did not forget your people in exile so long ago, but you were welcoming them into a complexity that they could not have imagined. Lord, it's our prayer. It's our prayer that this city that you have invited us into, into our neighborhoods, that, that you will be known by our actions, by our deeds. We pray that we will be careful listeners as you are inviting us into places that we haven't heard from before, that you will give us new eyes to see things that we haven't seen before, people we haven't seen before, ways in which you are calling us to be your hands and your feet. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Like Pastor Gary said, we have the opportunity this morning to hear from two amazing individuals, two individuals who have been with us on this journey of asking questions and seeing what's happening. So this morning we get to hear from them. Um, So I have the opportunity to stand here and ask them a few questions to really help us see what exactly is happening in the schools that we're supporting. So first of all, why don't you both introduce yourselves and then share a little bit about what really encouraged you to want to be a part of school, to serve in schools right now.
2: My name is Lauren DeKreif. I'm the principal at Urban Hill Middle School. Uh, I have been the principal for the last six years and prior to that, uh, was a school counselor uh, And then a different school district. Uh, I'd say a few of the things that I really enjoy about working in education, generally speaking, are is the opportunity to see kids, in my case, they're 12, 13 years old, where it's it's a mess on most days and, and difficult and, and peer-reviewed, all those things, grow uh, and learn. For the most part, our kids are very excited about doing that, and uh, and, and as a result, also going to see teachers connect with kids and do the really hard work that they do every day uh, is very rewarding. Hi, I'm Sherry Poole, and I'm the principal at Hoover High School.
3: Um, It's a school of about 1,100 kids just down the road from you guys. We are at the distinction (coughs) of the most diverse high school in the state of Iowa. Um, I I had a career before teaching um, and getting into administration as a police officer for 11 years. So um, the bridge to education and that servant leadership just was a natural flow for me. Um, And the reason I really choose is is what you're seeing on the screen is um, the wonderful opportunity I have for kids to be around every day and to try to impact them and really into them who is making me grow personally more more than I could ever hope for. And so um, to me that's the biggest blessing is being able to look through the multiple perspectives and experiences that the kids bring into my school and, and grow from that. And it's like turning the crystal um, and looking, you know, every time you turn the crystal you see a different perspective and that's what the kids um, have allowed me to
1: grow in. So, you know, Gary was mentioning change. And what change have you seen in your school, in school in general, in the last 20 years or since you were in school?
2: Um, what, I meant, what I mentioned before was that technology in general, and I would <laughs> say social media, and the, the impact that information exchanging 24 hours a day for our kids uh, has changed an enormous amount, uh, and it's just made a lot of things, some good, some bad, much more accessible. Uh, and a lot of those things find their way to school each day, and it certainly is a challenge. But I also think the demands that kids have, just generally speaking, are very high. Uh, our kids are really busy, and in most cases that's a good thing, uh, but we, I think we always have to be cognizant of how many demands are on their time. Uh, the other thing that I would say is mental health needs have been around all the time since we started education. But I think our awareness of that and our ability to connect with good resources to help kids that have mental health needs is certainly a challenge uh, and one that um, we have to be very intentional about uh, every day that our kids come to us.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I i much echo what he says. Uh, you know, social media has been, um, it's kind of hard to in high school and middle school. Um, kids get on social media and it's 24 7 in their heads, and sometimes that's not a good thing. But the good thing about technology is we are so interconnected across the globe it's allowed us to get into classrooms in a world language class. You could go into one of my classrooms and they're skating with, with a classroom in Spain. And so that is, is a really cool thing that technology has allowed us to do. Um, from an administrative standpoint, it's allowed me to identify gaps and, and where are we missing those gaps and how can I help close those gaps, whether it be um, educating the whole child or whether it be um, what, are, what are some of our needs uh, academically and put interventions into place. So technology has been the biggest change.
1: So we were fortunate enough as a congregation to partner with both schools that you represent as part of our alternative Christmas giving. Um, what are some of the ways that you saw your school or those students impacted? Are there any stories you have that you want to share about that?
2: I would first like to say on behalf of the middle school, um, I don't know that I can put into words uh, how thankful we are for the connection that this congregation, uh, both congregations, have made uh, in this way. Uh, so a few very short stories. One is uh, in terms of the impact behind the scenes. Um uh, we had uh, we were made aware that a family had uh, a major source of income in their family it was lost um, and the church was able to bless them right around the holidays. Uh, we also had uh, a family who lost one of the parents who died and um, for those for those kids who have been going through an incredibly rough time to be blessed in that way too. so there's a lot of stories like that. Um, I would also say one of the things that this causes to happen, which we weren't even aware of until kind of after the fact, is uh, our facilitator of family outreach did a lot of the coordination with families, and what, what she has said is that this has led to lots more connections with families uh, regarding support, that we that need support, um, that want to connect with school, um, and it's also led to higher levels, uh, I think, of trust, because we want to have a trusting relationship going both ways with all the families of kids that we serve. So um, there will be benefits down the road beyond uh, just the, the initial uh, part of the financial piece, uh, just in terms of the, the really good relationships that we want to build with all of our families. What you said. <laughs>
3: job and she kind of partnered and uh, was at the front lines of this and when they brought into my office all of these gift cards it was it was a little bit overwhelming to me of um, oh my gosh there's this much support and um, one of the hardest parts about my job is when I see students leaving school not knowing that if they're going to have a meal at night not knowing how I can keep them safe when they are outside the school walls because and I'll honestly, for a lot of my kids, if within the school walls, that six or seven hours is the best part of their day. Um, and when we go on a long break for a winter break, it's 10 days that they aren't guaranteed breakfast or lunch. And that's just the reality to which we live in. Um, and so it is typically on a daily basis that um, kids come up and ask me for granola bars to start their days because they um, did not have supper the night before. So your gift cards not only allowed them to connect with teachers, and teachers went and took them to Old Navy so they could have clothes, but allowed them to go and get food to sustain families and to sustain them for 10 days until we could get them back into schools where they could have um, a guaranteed lunch and breakfast. So I don't I don't know. I think even for myself, I am... Um, I am aware every day of what my students go to, but I also take for granted that I can get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, uh, and breakfast should I want to. And that's just not the reality for a large segment of the population across Des Moines, you know, not even in, in Urbandale. There's a lot of food deprived for students um, and families. So know that you made a difference, know that you continue to make a difference in these kids' lives. Um, a lot of them have a lot of pride And so when you give them stuff, they pay it forward and they went to serve um, meals at um, a homeless shelter. They went to Ruby Van Meter and served um, a Christmas meal for our students with disabilities. So they do everything that they can to help pay it forward. So um, you're teaching them not only how to receive and be
1: humble with that, but also how to pay it forward in other ways. So for the two of you as principals, obviously there are times when things get difficult, when there are situations that just are hard to work through. So what what keeps you going when those situations arise? And what are ways that we as a congregation can be praying for you and for your staff moving forward?
2: I know one of the things that we have just recently this school year polled our kids about uh, and found out more that I think solidified what we believe is that uh, we, even our students don't feel like they are as respectful towards one another as they should be and need to be. And want to have an environment that is respectful. I also think that uh, the idea of empathy and understanding what others are feeling and being able to accept that we have, we both have very diverse buildings, which is awesome I think, uh, that we can put ourselves in other people's shoes sometimes and understand that we're all in this together. Uh, And uh, as Sherry said, have a place that every day our kids feel very safe coming to and learning. And in some cases, it is that safe place for them depending on what's going on in their lives. So I think the prayers that our families and our kids uh, can always use, and and our teachers too because they're doing such hard work Every day, it's just great work. Every day, is that we can have a place that our kids are respectful mm-hmm. and show empathy for one another, uh, and then we just take care of each other.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, when it gets hard, um, I simply close my office door and go to a classroom because it's you know you walk into a classroom and that's my happy place. Um, you are going to be around kids, you get to learn with kids, um, you know you get to sit down and talk to them. And so that's an amazing place to be. Here. It reminds me of why I do what I do um, every day. And so um, when we talk about prayers, um, I say them every night and every morning to help me lead that building and to keep my kids safe. Um, and how do I how do I serve the teachers in my building that are on the front lines of everything that we do? So if you know a teacher, um, give them a big shout out and a big hug for everything that they do because they're simply, simply amazing. Um, at their craft. So um, I pray that we can, you know, serve the whole child, not just the academic piece, but really how do we engage the whole child in, in
1: so that they can be successful beyond high school. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for everything you're doing. Let's give these two a hand. This is fantastic work they you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, why don't we actually start... By praying right now. So Father, we come before you and we are so thankful for the opportunity that we have to partner with Hoover High School, to partner with Meredith Middle School, to partner with Horizon Elementary School. And Father, I pray that these buildings may become safe spaces where there's respect, where there's empathy, where there's love, Father, and that the example that both Sherry and Lauren are setting of love just trickles down to the staff that they work with that impacts the students in ways that we can't even imagine. So, Father, again, we thank you so much for Sherry. We thank you for Lauren and the impact they're having on their schools. Father, we love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.